I want to welcome each of you in to the Building Blocks podcast brought to you by Culture House LLC. I am your host, Robbie Britt. Here at Culture House, we seek to empower leaders and organizations to share one vision and speak with one voice. The Building Blocks podcast serves as the foundation where we can take ideas from some of the world's greatest leaders and apply it to our own organizations as we strive to build a culture of excellence. Today on the podcast, we are joined by my good friend, Coach Tom Marker. Coach Marker is the head baseball coach and math teacher at Olentangy Orange High School in Columbus, Ohio. I met Tom approximately eight years ago working Vanderbilt baseball camp. And over the course of our friendship, I have consistently admired Tom's ability to inspire and motivate not only his players on the baseball field, but also his students in the classroom. Tom is an unbelievable positive life force in our world, bringing an energy and creativity to his journey that few can rival. Coach Marker is an outstanding husband, father of three, teacher, and coach. Today, Tom will offer his thoughts on leadership, developing effective cultures, and how he motivates almost everyone he comes into contact with. So I hope you'll grab a notebook, a pen, and listen in to our conversation with Coach Tom Marker. Well, I'm here with uh, Tom Marker today. Tom is the head baseball coach at Olentangy Orange High School in Columbus, Ohio. And Coach Marker and I, we've been really, really good friends for a long time, uh, going back to probably eight years ago now when we worked Vanderbilt baseball camp together for the first time. And so I'm very happy uh, and proud to welcome in my good friend, Coach Marker. Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to get going. So, no, absolutely. Um, and what we were talking a little bit before we started recording here uh, about what the goal of this podcast is, and, and for us, you know, really, it's about getting great leaders that may not be as mainstream uh, yet, but but great leaders on the podcast so that they can share. Uh, their ideas and their thoughts on leadership. And as you and I have developed our friendship over these last eight years, the word leader in all capacities of life is what comes to mind when I think of you. So um, tell our listeners a little bit before we jump into this, just talk about your journey, about how you got to where you are today. So where you're from, uh, your experiences uh, at, at the college level, because I know you played college baseball, and then really your progression, your career progression, uh, for how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so I, I started, I, I grew up in, in Steubenville, Ohio, which is, you know, on the Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio border. Um, played baseball there for for Fred Hetherington. He's a high school baseball coach, obviously, at Steubenville Big Red High School. And I, I still remember I, I got a I got one of those postcards, I guess you could say, from, from Capital University. Our coach got, a, I think, a handful, and he handed them to players that he thought may be interested in playing there. And my dad looked it up and we looked it up and my dad said, Hey, I, I think you should look at this. Cause this may be the only opportunity you have to continue playing baseball. Um, capital wasn't very good um, record wise. And they were going to give me an opportunity to go there and play. And um, you know, for me, it made sense in terms of they had education. That's kind of what I, I knew I wanted to go into coaching and, and potentially teaching and I, I had an opportunity to play there. So, so I ended up going to Capital University and, and playing four years of baseball at, at Capital. And although we weren't very successful, I think I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about 
the game of baseball. And so I, I got the opportunity to play four years there. I set some records for, you know, most losses in a season a few different times. Um, but I got the opportunity to play and I, I made some friendships um, that I otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. We played in a really good baseball conference. So I got to see some really good baseball, although it wasn't always our team, but I got, we got to play against Marietta and Otterbine and Ball Wallace and some teams down in Florida that were, that were really good teams. And so I learned some things that you need to do to be successful as a baseball player by watching some of those other players and other teams. Um, and then, you know, from there, I got the opportunity to student teach in, in Whitehall city schools, which is just, um, it's probably about three miles from Bexley, um, where capital is. And, um, I guess you could, you can consider it inner city public school. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, it was great. The, the kids there, the, um, the appreciation they have for somebody, if you're willing to, um, really put your arm around them and, and, and help them grow. And it, it, it was really rewarding for me to see that. So I, I, I taught there. I actually, right after student teaching, I got the opportunity to be an uh, in-school suspension teacher, uh, which, which was different. Um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a school building outside of the actual school where they were of school, uh, they called it PALS. It was positive alternative learning for students. Um, and so I, I, I got to see a, a, a different, I guess a different way of, of educating students in the, in that, in that setting. And then I was able to get into the math classroom shortly thereafter. And I did math and language arts at Whitehall and uh, then got over to Bexley and, and then to upper Arlington and now Olentangy. So I, I coached my first head coaching position was at um, independence, which is in Columbus city schools. Um, I did that for three years and then was able to, to, to land the head coaching position at Bexley. Um, and then from there, Upper Arlington, which is a, a larger school, Division One school in, in Columbus, Ohio, basically on the campus of Ohio State um, before now where I'm at, Olentangy, you know, which is where my family resides. So that was kind of the goal to eventually teach and coach and live in the same district, and that's where I am now. Wow. No, I love it. I appreciate you sharing that. I bet you're the only – uh, in school, or I bet you're one of the few in school suspension teachers that could actually make that environment uh, fun. I would imagine that you flourished in that environment, knowing your personality. And uh, if you were doing that today, I'm sure you'd have some bang energy drinks ready to go for for the kids as they walk in. <laughs> it was. I'm telling you, it was. It was in school suspension. If you can picture this, uh, inner city in school suspension, grades six through twelve. So you might oh, have a, a twelfth grader in there for you know i mean any any given situation that they would be in school suspension in with a sixth grader and so yeah. um managing that uh it was i was i was responsible for delivering the academic content and then i had a um a, a colleague i'll say that was in there he was he was employed by the local ymca um and so he was more the disciplinarian so um, it was it was different for sure, but I, I learned a lot from that guy too. I mean, just the, his experiences and 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 how he handled certain situations, and it was it was it was great. It was it was a really invaluable learning experience to say the least. So, sure, no, I love that. I appreciate you sharing that. So as we as we talk about uh, really the two big parts of our organization being Culture House is talking about leadership and then culture. And so, you know, you and I have a lot of discussions about effective ways to teach and, and lead organizations. So share with our listeners kind of how you define leadership and then how does that definition 
shape the way you lead, whether it was all the way back when you first started as an in-school suspension teacher, all the way to now where you're a fantastic math instructor, but then also a coach. So walk us through that. Yeah, I, I would say with, with leadership is, and I think I, one of our other friends we, we talk about often, um, Alonzo, would say, you know, is, is do you get people to lead because of your title or to follow you because of your title? Or do they follow you because they truly believe in what you do and they and they want to they want to be a part of that? Um, you know, I never want to be in a position as an employee that does something just because my boss tells me to, to do it and because they're my boss. I want to do it because my boss does it and I believe in what he's doing and I believe in his vision and therefore I'm going to follow along and 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 go, you know, go wherever wherever they take me. So I think as a leader of a program or as a leader in the classroom, I think the important part is to get the kids or the the players or whoever it is to follow you because they believe in your vision, not because you're the head coach or not because you're the teacher in the classroom or you're the person that stands in the front of the room or you're the person that gives the signs. Like I think being able to let people understand or, or get people to understand, you know, this is the vision. This is, this is where we want to take this program or take this class or, you know, even take this math concept, you know, do you want to jump on board with it? But I think that comes from trust too. You know, the, the big part is, do they trust you as a person? They trust you as the, as you know, the quote unquote leader. Um, but I think that's what leadership is, is, is getting a group to walk alongside you and try to accomplish goals together um, for the betterment of the, of the organization or the betterment of the class or the betterment of the group. And so if you can do that, wow, I think you've got something special, but I think if you think a leader is I'm the head coach, they're going to follow me or I'm the teacher. So they're going to, they're going to believe in what I say. I think that's, that's, I guess the old school way of thinking. And I don't think it works this day and age. I think kids are too, too intelligent. Players are too intelligent and they deserve more than that. So, um, but to me, that's what leadership is just getting everybody to, to, to follow alongside you and, and try to accomplish certain goals. Yeah, no, that's really good. When you talk about trust, uh, I, I like that you brought up trust there. How do you develop that within your classroom or your team, you know, especially with kids that you, you might just be meeting, obviously, at the beginning of school for the first time, and you only have a very finite amount of time to to develop that relationship. So how do you try to develop trust, whether it's with your players or your students, uh, specifically probably at the beginning of that relationship? Yeah. You know, I think I've grown in this regard because I, you know, as we stated at the beginning, I was at, you know, Bexley and then Upper Arlington and now on Tangy and, and, and developing trust is, is, is paramount. I mean, it's huge. And, and for me, it, it, this beginning of the school year or the beginning of a new position as a head coach, I think you get it by one. I think you need to do your homework as a, as a teacher, as a coach. I think you need to really understand where the kids are coming from and, and where they, where they hope to go. So in each one of my stops as a coach, you know, each, each school had their, um, you know, their, what they were successful at or what they, what they, what leg they stand on, I guess you could say. And same in the classroom, like students, I think it's important as a teacher to find out from their prior teachers, you know, Hey, what's this kid successful at? What does this kid enjoy doing? And, um, my wife actually did it a few years ago with her class where she sent a, um, an email to the parents and said, Hey, can you write a letter to me 
about your kid. Like, tell me about their successes they've had in the classroom. Tell me their successes they've had outside of the classroom. Tell me what they enjoy. Tell me a little bit about their family, their siblings. And I think as a coach, I think the more you can find out about the kids and show that you have a genuine interest in who they are, I think that's where trust comes from. Like that they, they see that you, you know, the, the old cliche, you know, kids don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. I, I think that's, I think that's true though. I think you, for me, whenever I take over a position at, at a new school as a head coach, I try to go watch the kids in football and try to go watch them in, in their fall sports or in their, in their winter sports or whatever, just to show, listen, I want, I want to see who you are as a person, how you compete, what you're all about. And then, you know, having little, uh, conversa- conversations with them in the weight room about stuff outside of the sport just to show, listen, I, I want to know you as a person. I, and, and I think that's kind of how you can develop trust. And in the classroom for me, I think that's important to have conversations with kids outside of the, the conceptual stuff outside of the math part of it. Um, and I sure. think when kids see that, they're like, okay, this guy's in, he cares. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know you do a fantastic job of tying, you know, real life into uh, your math concepts. And I've always admired the fact that you're able to do that. I remember when I first got the job at Rossview uh, as a, as a teacher teaching 11th grade U S history, you know, you're staring at those rosters on power school they get printed off and it's just a name at that point. And I remember there was so much anxiety and uncertainty for myself personally, because you, you just don't know any of them. Um, and I, I didn't have any previous teachers or anybody that I knew that I could fall back on because it was my first teaching job in that. But then to look back at those rosters at the end of the year, you know, and of course they're marked up from front to back and, you know, it was so cool to watch the development of those relationships from just being a name on a sheet of paper to realizing that that kid's going to show up every day. And, you know, many times they're going to be relying on you for their motivation or for, uh, for some of them, their happiness, you know? Uh, and, and so I think that that's a really cool way to, to take it uh, on your end is talking about trust and developing that by really doing your homework. So no, that's great. You talk about the. Uh, so talk oh, sorry, you talk bit. about the names on the roster, and, and and that's one point I want to bring up. Like in the classroom, for me, and 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 we take this a little bit from Corbs too, where he talks about like developing a nickname. For me, I have I have a roughly ninety four kids on my on my roster at school currently, and every kid has a nickname, and the nickname is personable. Like it's, I mean, every single per like one girl's uh, nickname is is. Um, Beak, for instance, and it, and it has some ties to where her home country is and, and that connection. So I'll never forget her because I because we talked about where she's from and and and, and that's how kind of how that nickname came about. Um, but the kids love the nicknames and especially if you make a personable mm-hmm. and, and at the sixth grade level, especially like I mean. I, I do research on the kids. Like I find out a little bit about their family and what their favorite sport is or what their favorite video game or book or whatever. And then I, I actually go, I have them fill out a survey at the beginning of the year. And then I do research on their book that they like and see if I can find a character that kind of matches them. And then that's their nickname. And, that, and then they're like, why is that my nickname? Oh, okay. Now that makes sense. Or I have a kid in my class, his name's Sid, but we call him Penguin because of Sid Crosby and he likes hockey and Sid the kid for the Penguins. And so that's his nickname, the Penguin. And now he knows that forever. And so I think that's really important too, like to develop those nicknames in relation to, you know, who they are as a person. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's really awesome. Especially at that middle school oh, yeah. age because they're so moldable, you know, yeah. and uh, coming in as a sixth grader, that's really cool. 
uh, talk a little bit about, you know, the hardest part of being a leader. I think when we, you know, you and I are going back and forth, we're, we're obviously sharing a lot of the experiences that we've had. Um, but I know it's not all roses and good times. So talk a little bit about the hardest part about being a leader in the classroom or on the field, and then maybe how you've even managed that to, to make it less difficult. I think early on and, and still sometimes now it's, it's being vulnerable and, 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 you know, being okay with being challenged and questioned. And, um, and I think you have to, um, admit that you're wrong a lot that you're going to be wrong a lot, but, but using it as a growth opportunity. And so for me, I think early on, I used to get frustrated whenever, you know, as a coach, somebody's going to say, man, you should have bunted here. You should have made the substitution here. And, um, and I think early on, I was, I would, I would push back. No, why? No, I'm the coach. And this, this is, this is why we did it this way. But now I think those questions, taking them, those challenges and those questions that the times that people question you as an opportunity for you to reflect. And so even in the classroom, I think I work so hard on lessons or I work so hard on the why and understand it for me personally to understand, you know, why do they call something this or why do we solve it this way? Because I know that I'm going to be challenged at some point and somebody's going to say, well, you shouldn't teach it that way. And I, I better, I better do my homework and I better truly understand why I do things. But also, like I said at the beginning, you know, being vulnerable and, and being okay with, you know, admitting when I'm wrong and, and I, I tell you, I, I had a time this year, and this is this is this was difficult thing as a coach, right? At, at the high school level, is when you make roster reductions, and I know some people call them cuts. We call them rest, roster reductions because we're not truly cutting ties with a kid. We're we're reducing our rosters simply because of numbers. But I had a kid that. Um, when we do these roster reductions, we bring them in and we have a conversation. We say, okay, here's where you stand in our program. And um, here's where we believe you are today on February 28th or whatever that date is, you know, that could change as the season goes on. And finally, one of the kids texts me after me and says, coach, I st I'm still not clear. Like I, I, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not clear on where I'm at. And he came in and I said, you know what? Let's do this. Come in tomorrow. I need you to come talk to me. Let's, let's have a meeting during my lunch. And he came in and he laid it out. And I'm like, man, you're right. And I'm wrong. You're, you're a hundred percent right. I wasn't clear. I, I don't know if I was a hundred percent fair. And I think if I wouldn't have been comfortable enough with, with um, a high school kid telling me, Hey, listen, I don't, I don't agree with you here. I don't, um, I don't know if he said, I don't appreciate it, but he said something along those lines, but he was a hundred percent right. And when we, when we got up and he shook my hand and he walked out of there, I met with our team later that night. And I said, listen, I had a meeting with one of our guys he was right. I was a hundred percent wrong and, and we're going to be better going forward. And I think uh, 10 years ago, I would never, I would, I would have said, listen, buddy, this is how it is. I'm sorry. But we sat down, we had a conversation. Mm -hmm. I walked away and I, I respect the heck out of this kid going forward. And I misinterpreted his body language and his, um, you know, was he really trying out as hard as he could? Was he really working as hard as he could in the off season until I had that conversation, man, I would have never saw it that way. And, and I think that's part of being vulnerable and allowing people to question you and challenge you. And you take it as constructive criticism or an opportunity to reflect and grow. So when you, I know we went back to the beginning, you say, you know, what's the hardest part of being, being a leader is man, being comfortable in your own skin. It's difficult. It's hard, you know, and it's, and, and yeah. knowing that you're going to be wrong and knowing that you're going to be questioned and, and your decisions are out there in the front of everybody a lot of times, but you know, if, if you're doing what's best for kids and, 
and making decisions on uh, based on those things, I think you'll be okay. So, yeah, oh, that's great. I remember asking our staff this year. You know, we're a young staff. I'm the I'm the oldest at 27, and then we have a about eight of us, and and everybody else is younger than I, and so. Uh, we have, luckily we have a very open environment, but I asked a question in a staff meeting that I wasn't prepared for the answer. I said, what do we not do better than our opponents or our, our competition? You know, and it was a very general question, but it was really, we were reading a book by John Gordon called training camp. And and the premise of the book is doing things better than everybody else. And then what you don't do better than everybody else, trying to improve those things. And so I just asked the question. Um, and I started to get some responses that were very open and I really wasn't ready for them, you know, and it sort of caught me off guard. I remember leaving that meeting, you know, being upset uh, and I went back to the office and I sort of closed my door and took about 15 minutes and realized, no, that is exactly what is great about our staff culture at, at Charleston, you know? And so, um, I had to go back out and, <laughs> and apologize to the staff because they were right. Like you said, you know, they were right and I was wrong, but it's not easy. It's not easy to do that. And so uh, I appreciate you sharing that because uh, I do, I think it's such an important part of leadership, but it's a challenging part as well. It's not, I don't think it comes natural to a lot of people to be vulnerable or to be secure in that position, you know, um, especially when you're around people that maybe haven't been in that position before. I always, I always used to, people would say, coach, you know, just wait till you're a head coach. Like just uh-huh. wait, it'll be different then. And I'd roll my eyes, you know. Um, and then now that I'm in that position and I look at some of my assistant coaches or some people that are on the outside of it, you know, I'm like, wow, I never realized how much there truly is to this job until you mm-hmm. get in it. So speaking of being a head coach, because you have been fortunate enough to be at a head coach at a number of different stops uh, along the way. You know, you've you've coached at different high schools and you've also taught at different levels as well. So you get that job and you talked a little bit about doing your homework, but you get that job. Walk us through kind of what the first 30 days look like. OK, if I'm a new teacher or a new head coach, um, you know, you can take it however you want. But walk us through the, the first couple steps of that plan. Um, as you approach the new job. Yeah, I, I would say, like like you said, the homework piece is big. So I think the, the first 30 days don't start on day one. They may start on like day negative five, right? So that those five days before you walk in and you're in front of your team or around your team for the first time, I think are, are vital days. I mean, I think you, you're doing your homework. You're finding out um, what has made that program successful in the past. Um, what do you, what are the expectations going forward? forward because I think as a coach you're going to have expectations for your group but it's also important to understand what the program's expectations what's the community's expectations and and where do they want to go and how do you get them there um and taking the temperature of the room I would say like okay you know what's the vibe you know what are they what do they really want going forward so I think your your five days prior to getting in front of the group or getting around the team um is very, very important because I don't think, I think a lot of people say, man, I'm going to go in and I'm going to take this job and I'm going to change the culture. I'm going to change this. I'm going to do that. And, and I don't think that's true. I don't, I don't think at any of my places did I go in there thinking, man, I want to change the culture. I think I want to immerse myself within the, the, 
the culture that was already there. Maybe that's because I went to, you know, my last three stops were three very good places. I mean, Bexley's an outstanding academic institution. They do a lot of things really well. They're super detailed. Um, UA Upper Arlington has, has tradition. That's, that's, you know, I don't know if anybody compares in the, in the state of Ohio in terms of their athletic tradition. Um, and then orange was there. They haven't been around. The school hasn't been around more than, you know, 10 to 15 years. And so they've had a great amount of success. So in each one of those places, I had to find a way to immerse myself in a, in a culture that was already really, really, really successful. And I don't think, I don't think those each one of those programs was looking for change. I don't think they were, I think they were looking for, you know, somebody to continue to, to develop what had already been going on, especially my last stop with Olin Tangy Orange, like Phil Callahan was a head coach before me. And, um, he teaches kids to play at a very, very um, high energy level and, and a, um, hard work and, and players are just going to play hard. I mean, they really are. So I had to immerse myself in that and say, how do I continue that while putting my own little flair or, or bringing my own little style to that? So um, I think if I would have gone in without doing my homework first and just rolled into a, to each one of those last three jobs and said, you know, we're going to change this. We're going to do Kids don't want that. They're not looking, not all kids are, I mean, not many kids are on a hiring committee. So they didn't choose me, right? They're, they didn't say, we want Tom Marker in here. We want what he's all about. So I almost, I, I chose to be a part of what they already had going on. So um, then I think once you sit down with the guys, you, you tell them, you know, here's, here's what I'm about. Here's what I've done in the past. But I also know that you've done this and you're about like, so when I took over up Arlington, I still remember it. There was a group of seniors that all played on the same summer team. So the day after I got hired, I went over to Otterbein university. They were playing a game and I stood by the dugout and listened to the way they communicated with each other. And then I stood back by the parents. Nobody knew who I was at this point. And I stood by the parents and listened to them talk about the game and talk about it, you know, whatever they were talking about and try to get a feel and a vibe for, what, again, what the temperature of the room was, was what's their, how do they, you know, how do they talk to each other? How do they talk about the game? How do they play the game? And then when I went into that first meeting, I could talk and I could say, you know, Spencer, I watched you play this weekend and I love the way you do this. You know, how, how uh, what makes you play? What makes you do this, this way? Or what's your infield philosophy? Why do you go about the, you know, the ground ball? Why did you attack it this way? And just try to learn what they do. I think that's important too. give them a voice early on and, and work and let them know that we're working together on this. We're working side by side on, you know, trying to make you a better baseball player and a better person, but you, you got to know where they're coming from and you got to know who they are. You don't just go and change stuff. I think that's, I think that's the, the, again, the old school method of I'm going to go in and change this culture. The culture doesn't always need changed. You know, sometimes you got to immerse yourself in what's already being successful. And, and in those three programs, there was a lot of good going on. So I didn't, I don't think that, you know, I think that's the challenge. So when you first take over a job, I don't think it's, man, I'm going to go in here and change this, this, and this, you know, sometimes it may be necessary, but my last three, that wasn't the case. So um, just, I, I would, I would again, go back to do your homework, really know a lot about the kids, make yourself visible, develop a sense of trust and don't go in there just trying to make changes immediately, you know, immerse yourself in what's already successful. Well, in Tangy, where I'm at now is a outstanding district with a lot of good things going on. So it's, it's figuring out how can I, how can I be a part of it and, and not, you know, ruffle it up too bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. No doubt. You know, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that, they look for a job like that where it's, you know, everything is, 
the foundation's already in place, you know, um, knowing that the, they want to come in and put their own spin on it basically. Um, whereas, you know, most people, they get their start or they get that first job by taking a, a team or a classroom that's not very good and then trying to turn mm-hmm. it around, you know? So I think that's where you get that, Oh, let's change the culture. But you and I you know, come from very similar backgrounds as far as that goes, because here I am, I walked into a program where we won 41 games and, uh, and went to a super regional the year before I got there. So, you know, my message was, Oh boy, I'm just trying not to screw this thing up, you know? Um, and, and a lot like you're saying, you know, I found a way where we could, we could mm-hmm. coincide the, the past and the future could coincide. You know, I really relied a lot on our seniors this year uh, that had been there and had success. And sometimes I'm saying, Hey, you know, what do y'all think? And I think that we, we probably uh, had the season continue. We probably would have been able to do some really neat things just because of the openness that was created, you know, and not just me coming in and saying, Hey, I'm Robbie Britt or, Hey, I'm Tom Marker. And here's how we're going to do things because you know, like you said, those guys that had had the success in the past, they probably wouldn't have been as receptive to that. I wouldn't imagine, um, you know, had you just walked right, in there and tried right. to do it your way. So, uh, you know, it goes back to being vulnerable too. like your maturity level in that, I think allows, allows for you to be able to do that and to have success um, because you're able to say, Hey, it's not about me necessarily. I'm sure there have been times where you have put your spin on things once you get in there. So talk to us a little bit about a system that you may have as far as the culture that you have either adjusted or tried to create, um, you know, such as a mission statement or core values, things like that, uh, that you may have or incorporate with your team to try to help build a, a stronger, uh, um, yeah. And, and, and I've gone through that several times. Like I've got, I've gone through the, you know, let's, let's make a cultural blueprint of what we stand by and let's, let's list our three core values. And, and then what I noticed was sometimes it, it wasn't, um, it didn't feel organic. Like it felt like forced at times. Like I would have to even go back and look, what, what were our three core values again? How did I want to say those? And I'd have to come up with an acronym so I could even remember them. And instead of it just naturally happening, and the more I think about like our program and, and what it stands for, you know, cause everybody says, you know, you look at people's core values and family and uh, this and that. And for me, I, I guess it comes down to communication and transparency, period. That's it. And it's not, it doesn't have all, I, I, I trust me, I made the cultural blueprint and I thought it was awesome, but to me it's communication and transparency. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to be as, as honest and as, as professional with our players as we can, like we're going to work with them first and foremost, and hopefully they take a good message home to their parents and to their families that we're doing what's best for the kids. I think if you can get that going, you're in a good spot. Um, and communication, just, I, I, I like to do emails early in the morning. I like, I'm, a, I'm an early riser because I like to, to send emails and to follow up and, and do those things. I'm big on, on communicating with our kids, whether it's through text messages, through giving them a phone call, um, you know, pulling them aside and saying, you know, giving them little words of encouragement or telling them, you know, that they need to clean some things up. But I think that communication piece has been, is, is our number one foundational thing that we, we, we hang our hat on as a program. Um, and, and even in the classroom too, like, I think because again, developing that trust early, but I can pull even a sixth grader who somebody goes, really, you talk to sixth graders and say this. And I do, I, I'll pull a sixth grader aside and say, Hey, listen, it wasn't very good today. 
Like, I don't feel like it was there. I don't feel like your effort was there. You know, I love you. I care a lot about you, but if you don't clean it up, we're going to struggle this, this, this unit or whatever, you know, we're going to struggle through this week. And I think a lot of times I'm like, you're right. You know, I know you wouldn't tell me that unless you truly believed it. And so I think our ability to be transparent with kids and the way we do our roster reduction meetings and the way we do our end of season, it all revolves around communication and being totally transparent as much as we can. And I mean, we sat a kid down last year at the end of end of season, you know, our exit meetings. And I said, man, you know, I know you wish you would have played more. I know it had to be tough. And he goes, no coach, like you were clear. You know, and I loved my role. And, I, and now you're not always going to get that. I, I get it. There's going to be kids who walk away like, nope, you're right, coach. I wanted more playing time and I should have played more. But this kid, when he said that to me, I'm like, man, maybe we are doing things the right way. Maybe we are, you know, as a coaching staff being as honest and transparent and trying to let the kids know, you know, we're trying to put you in the best position to be successful and our team to be successful. So if you said, you know, what, what, is, your, what is your cultural blueprint or your core values, ours would be communication and transparency. Wow. That is really, that is really powerful. Um, I really like that a lot. Um, so kind of expanding upon that, how do you work to build uh, that culture? For instance, um, you, know, you talk about communication and transparency, you know, is it individual meetings? Is it classroom sessions? I, I know that's something that you guys are really big into. Walk us through, the elements of your culture and where you try to. Yeah. I think with, uh, with us, like, you know, I, I don't want to sound hokey or anything along those lines, but like culture, what is it? It's, it's, it's the people, it's the environment, right? So how can you create an environment with the right people in that environment that, that are fully into what you're trying to do culturally. And so for us, we're really strategic about how we choose our rosters. We're really strategic about the environment that we create, whether it's the, the classroom environment, the practice environment, the training environment, um, however you want to term it. But for us, um, we do, again, it goes back to doing a lot of homework, a lot of reading, a lot of communicating with, you know, successful coaches and successful teachers and finding out how they do certain things. But for our classroom environment that we do for our players, um, I do, a, 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 I'll say I'm a Twitter addict, right? I love Twitter, but my wife goes, you're always on Twitter, but it's not for the gossip. It's more for the, wow, that's a really good idea. Or that's a really good message. Or that's a good article or a good video to share with our kids. So what we've done is we've created a, a Google sheet where we keep and I, we tell our coaches, if you see something, you know, if you read something or you hear something or you see something on Twitter or, or um, something on the news, tag it put it in this classroom and then tag it based on, is it, is it something that's going to benefit our culture, our mindset, um, our training environment, our fundamentals? What, what is this going to improve? And then from there each day, if there's something we want to hit on, we can just go back to that, that sheet and say, okay, um, you know, we struggle really bad with our, with our preparation or our mindset or our approach or whatever it is. Here's a few articles, which one, Oh, this one links really well. Let's go with that. Um, so we, we've, we've continued to build that library of, of resources to make our classroom productive. So I don't want to bring our guys into the classroom and, and not be prepared um, to, to deliver them a message or give them what, what they deserve. And then um, in our training environment, I think it's, it's fast paced. It's organized. It's um, you know, uh, uh, when you talk about culture, I think we're very attention to detail as a group. And um, I think our kids, 
thrive on. I think when we initially set it up that way last year, my first year, I think they were like, is this, is this beneficial? And, and, and now they see that it is. So um, just the organization, the preparation, all those things that go into developing a, a, a learning environment or a training environment that's, that's going to be conducive to being efficient as well as, a, as, a, as effective. So. Yeah. All right, a quick hitter for you. Podcast, videos, or books. If you had to choose one, what's your go-to platform for learning yourself? Can I go with a uh, none of the above? No, um, I, I do love – man, it's a mix. It's, it's truly a mix. <laughs> um, here's what I like the most. I like listening to a podcast and picking out nuggets or reading a book and picking out nuggets and then bouncing it off of my – what I would call my inner circle. So I'll hear something or read something and right away I'll pick up a phone and text somebody or call somebody and say, Hey, did you see this? What do you think? Because I want to, I don't even think I want confirmation. I do want some, no, I didn't like that type of thing. Or, you know, again, it goes back to vulnerable. Like you really like that. Or what did you think about this and bounce ideas off of it? So what I've tried to do is develop some, uh, an inner circle, a group that I, that I count on for, that I can bounce ideas off of, but I, I like the podcast a lot when I'm out, you know, if I'm mowing the grass, I want to listen to a podcast. Right. But if I'm, if I'm hanging out and my kids are doing something around me and I'm reading a book or, I mean, there's just a lot of, I, I think they're all valuable and, and, but they're only valuable if, if when you get done listening or reading or watching, you're reflective and you can, um, articulate those thoughts to somebody else and bounce ideas off of. So to me, the value comes in, what you do after you get done with those, you know, that's, that's my thought process. So I have a group that's where great. like, if I'm like, man, this, I'm, I'm watching hitting. Okay. Here's my go-to person. Oh, it's cultural. Boom. Here it is. Oh, it's communicate, being able to communicate. Here it is. It's math. Here it is. Like I love the math ones too, just because I think they, they challenge me to, to be better with my communication and my teaching. And that's, that's really what we are as baseball coaches as teachers. So, so the math piece is good too. Sure. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So give us a nugget then. What's the most impactful thing that you've consumed recently over the last week, month? It could be uh, anything from culture to math to baseball, but but give us a a nugget that you've had. Um, If I uh, said lately, the book legacy is, 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 is an unreal read. Um, I I really like that a lot. Um, And then just pulling nuggets from that Um, podcast wise, I've been big on the ABC podcast, but I'll tell you what, during this time, um, zoom sessions. So, so creating, and, and I don't mean the zooms and I, and I make fun of it, but it's valuable, but I, I don't mean the zooms where there's 250 people on there and you're just in the background listening, which I do think there's some value to that, but I'm, I, I think creating a group of people that can add um, value in different ways because they come from different backgrounds. So if say, for instance, you wanted to study, um, you wanted to look more into teaching. Let's just say math. I'm a math teacher. Okay. Who do I look up to? Who are some people? Dan Meyer, for instance, is a, is a, is a, um, a Kaplinsky is another guy that's on Twitter. That's, that's very successful math teacher. Um, and then there's some in my own school. Um, there's a guy that just came over and started teaching at our school this year. Um, he line Todd, he who's very successful. He has a really good way of interacting with kids. And then Phil Callahan is really cerebral in the, in the math classroom. So if I were trying to learn more about that, I'm going to, I'm going to do a zoom session and say, Hey guys, can you come in? 
I want to talk math. I want to talk about how you interact with kids and what you do in the classroom and then form your own group and do your own and do your own zoom session with that group. And so for us, um, we've done some baseball ones where I have a high school group that we do. And I have a group of mixed, I guess, with some college guys and some pro guys that bring different perspectives. So if I, if, if I would say one thing that, that I would challenge people to do is to find your inner circle, your group that you really count on, that you look up to and man, try to connect with them as often as possible during this time in zoom sessions that are valuable to you. Yeah. No, I, I personally, I can tell you, I've really appreciated, you know, you sort of taking a leadership role in organizing some of those zoom calls because you know, it has, it's sparked ideas and development for, for us uh, at Charleston and the way we want to try to do some things. And so uh, obviously, you know, personally, I'm really appreciative of that, but that's great advice. So, all right, now that you've been in this for about 15 years as a teacher, 17 years coaching, um, what is some advice for young developing leaders like uh, Robbie Britt, new up and coming just fresh out of college walk him through some advice and some key nuggets that he would need as he enters this next chapter of his life i would say extend your day and fill it with being reflective what i mean by that is for me i wake up really early in the morning and um the reason i do that is because it's, it's the quiet time when my my kids aren't you know running around the house and it's my opportunity uh to be reflective and because what I've noticed, at least with myself, is you, you got to be really honest with yourself. So early on, I think because um, I'll say I was nervous in certain situations. When I get nervous, I crack jokes or I, um, I talk too much. I think a lot of people do that, right? And what I've noticed is until I started reflecting about like, okay, why did I say that? Or why, why did I act this way? It wasn't until I no noticed that because I wasn't comfortable because I was nervous because I, um, you know, I get around really good coaches or really good players or, you know, and, and that's how I, that was like my defense mechanism. So I, I would say to realize like to really self-reflect, find out a lot about yourself and give yourself time to do that. So um, again, for me, it, it came from getting up early in the morning and thinking about the day and thinking about the prior day and thinking about how we handled certain situations. So, I would say make some time for yourself. That, that's huge. And, and use that time to be reflective. Don't always think that you have to be, you know, developing practice plans and come up with the next best um, hitting, hitting drill, but also take some time to reflect on what you've done and, and where you're going to go from there and why you do the things you do. I think that's, I think that's super valuable. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful coach. That's, that's awesome. Uh, my last one for you today, you know, what's one thing, this may go along the same lines, but I always ask this as kind of the, the golden question. What's the one thing that you know now that you wish you had known? Then? Um, <clears throat> that relationships are everything that they're, that they're every relationships and experiences are everything. And when I say they're everything, I'm talking about your relationships with your kids, your own personal kids and those experiences, your relationships with your players and those experiences. Like, don't take any experience for granted. Like, even the little – like, I, I had our players fill out what, what's, what's the thing that you enjoyed the most about, most about playing it for Orange. You know, so this was for our seniors. And a lot of them would say, man, the bus ride, which – 
is an experience, right? But you, you sometimes take for granted, like the bus ride to our spring trip or hanging out in the house together, or we did a valet, we valeted. Um, and I had no idea that the kids enjoyed that experience, but it was an experience. So I think you take, take pride in every experience and every, every opportunity to have an experience. So, um, I think that's one thing that I, that I know now that I don't think I knew so much at the beginning, but how valuable every single little interaction and experience and how important those relationships are. Um, cause that's, that's the fun part. Like, uh, you know, I, I just had a, a kid email me a couple of days ago. It was my birthday. And a kid that I had in class a few years back emailed me and said, Hey, happy birthday. I'm like, One, how did you remember? And two, thank you. But I think it was because of the relationship and it was just the relationship I had with them in the classroom. So like lunchtime, like you have an opportunity to eat lunch with your kids in class anytime you want, like, why would you ever eat lunch by yourself or, um, you know, I don't want this is going to come off wrong, but like eat lunch with teachers and complain about something when you can eat lunch with a kid that may, that may make their day or their year is eating lunch with you each day. So take advantage of opportunities to um, develop relationships and have great experiences with your kids, your players. I mean, cause man, but this Corona thing, we, we, we just lost, we, we lost the opportunity to have a bunch of experiences with our seniors that we'll never get back. So hopefully the other experiences that you had with them, were valuable else you you know you really missed the ball there yeah i'm glad you shared that because when i watched the video of your scene that's me which was I so movie. Well put together by the way. <laughs> i don't know if that was you or another tech whiz but oh man yeah, yeah. <laughs> iMovie can make a master out of anybody um but, but I was taken back because, you know, six I think there were, seniors. what, eight seniors maybe. I, I can't remember. It was six or eight seniors. But so out of those six, five of the six had experiences that had nothing to do with what happens between the white lines, right? It was just like you said. They were all things that took place outside of the typical baseball environment. Um, and when I reflect on, uh, you know, my teaching uh, last year at Rossview, like nobody remembers the content or very rarely do they remember the content, you know, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. They're going to remember the, the, the fun, the funny moments in that classroom or uh, the fun exercises that you did, um, you know, or the extracurricular activities. If it's, if it's baseball, you know, it's going to be the valet services or the, um, you know, the team building opportunities, things like that. So, I really appreciate you sharing that. That's a, that was a, uh, an awesome thing for sure. So, well, coach, I want to just thank you as your friend and as somebody that I respect and, and consider to be a mentor in my life uh, so much for coming on the, the call today and sharing your perspective, because again, uh, you offer so many different um, types of perspective. When we talk about being a great classroom teacher, you dominate in there, but then the same thing on the field, you know, you're a forward thinker that does a great job of leading his program on the field too. And your family as well. Um, I've taken, I've taken tips from you as far as being a father and the way to approach certain experiences with your kids uh, and, and your spouse. And, and so I really appreciate uh, your leadership in that. Oh, thank you. That was a lot that you said that. Like I, um, so I was listening to Deegs the other day, Mike Deegan talk about, you know, networking and networking is such a, you know, selfish word if you really think about it. And, 
And at first when, you know, I developed a relationship with you and Chip from Vandy Camp and Deegan and Craig Kyle and Ryan Alexander and Brad Gaynor, all these coaches. And at first I think I thought of it as networking, right? But now I think of it, no, it's not, it's not networking, it's connecting and, man, and, mm-hmm. and surrounding yourself with people that, that I admire, right? Like, like you, you're the head coach at Charleston. I get to talk to the head coach at Charleston. I know you think, oh, no, that does, yeah, it means a lot. I mean, it's pretty cool. Like he's the head coach at Charleston. He was at Middle Tennessee State and he was a teacher and a coach and a father and a, and then surrounding yourselves and connecting with people that, that are, that are pretty awesome in their, their own way and their own field. So I appreciate it as well. I want to thank each of you so much for tuning into our conversation here today. If you liked what you heard, we're going to ask you to do a couple things for us. Number one is subscribe so that you'll have the opportunity to be aware of future podcasts that come up on a biweekly basis. The second thing is we're going to ask you to give us a five-star rating and make a comment on Apple Podcasts. That way we can continue to grow and develop our podcast and to reach more people. Number three, we're going to ask you to share with at least one person that you feel could benefit from the conversation that we had today. By doing those things, you're allowing us here at Culture House to fulfill our mission of empowering leaders and organizations alike to share one vision and speak with one voice. We hope that you'll tune in next time on the Building Blocks podcast brought to you by Culture House LLC. And as always, may you strive for excellence by beating your yesterday every day.